0: Welcome to HealthCast, the heartbeat of health IT. I'm your host, Melissa Harris. Think back to when you were a kid learning about the food pyramid. You know, where whole grains were at the bottom, then you have your fruits and veggies, maybe a serving or two of dairy, and so on. While these general guidelines are pretty good to follow, everyone reacts differently to different foods. Two people can eat the same piece of fruit, for example but the rise in each person's blood glucose levels could vary greatly. Scientists have observed these differences for a while, but a new effort at the National Institutes of Health is embarking on a mission to fuse nutrition and precision medicine together. The program called Nutrition for Precision Health, or MPH, branched off from the NIH All of Us research program, which aims to collect and analyze longitudinal health data from 1 million participants to advance precision medicine. For those who don't know, precision medicine looks at the genetics, environment, and lifestyle of each individual to help choose a health treatment that works best for them. So, NPH is piggybacking off all of us, recruiting 10,000 of all of us as participants to advance precision nutrition. We'll learn today about how MPH aims to help us recognize how food affects each of us differently and how emerging technologies they're applying to their studies will help us get there. With me is NPH coordinator, Dr. Holly Nicastro, to tell us more. All right, Holly, it's wonderful to have you here today. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I just want to start with the, the general topic of precision medicine. Um, we've talked about it on the show before and had Dr. Josh Denny from all of us join us. But can you go into what precision health is and why the NIH Common Fund and all of us have decided to branch off from that and create the MPH study to expand on precision health?
1: Happy to. So yeah, the All of Us research program is really a key part of the precision medicine initiative. And when we talk about precision medicine, we're talking about tailoring treatments or tailoring strategies to the individual based on factors about themselves. Some of these factors, we might have a good idea what they would be going into it. And and some of these we're going to identify through the All of Us research program. You know, but specifically now, um, the first ancillary study to the All of Us Research Program is called Nutrition for Precision Health. So this is all about doing precision nutrition. And when we say precision nutrition, what we mean is it's the goal of developing individualized and also actionable dietary recommendations. So this would help individuals decide how and when and what and why to eat to optimize their health or their quality of life.
0: So there are generally these best practices that we hear about um, growing up, about eating lots of healthy foods, having a balanced diet, avoiding processed foods. So um, can you go into what the argument for precision nutrition is? And, you know, what do we know about uh, nutrition now? And why do we need to personalize nutrition moving forward? That's a really great question.
1: So we have some general advice that people are used to hearing. We also have you know, some dietary patterns with a really strong evidence base. Uh, one example is the DASH dietary pattern, That's the dietary approaches to stop hypertension or DASH. It's been repeatedly demonstrated to lower blood pressure, and it's, it's really the most evidence-based diet we have as far as um, diet and disease relationships go. We also have our dietary guidelines for Americans. The goal of those is really to to guide everyone to consume a healthy and nutritionally adequate diet. But these approaches, approaches are one size fits all or really one size fits most. But we see patients, we see consumers, and we see other large groups of people that eat food. Increasingly seeking these tailored approaches. And there's really this, this growing recognition that these dietary recommendations that we have, they're a good start, but they're better for the population level health than they are for the individual. You know, another another reason could be these one-size-fits-all approaches, they can tend to alienate people or large groups of people. So I'm going to, you know, I'll pick on dairy and nothing against dairy. I consume dairy daily. But our current dietary guidelines, plus the DASH dietary pattern, has a pretty big emphasis on dairy. But for people who are lactose intolerant, which you know, some estimates say are more than half of the world's population, or for anyone who doesn't consume dairy for many other reasons, they could be environmental, spiritual, personal preference. So all these people can see these dietary recommendations saying it's dairy or it's nothing and can really be put off by that. And it can also just be inappropriate for individuals, Um, you know, the extreme example here is we see the stories about people who eat fast food hamburgers for every meal, but then by all accounts have excellent measures of health. But then there are other people who work really hard to follow all these guidelines that you were talking about, follow all of this healthy eating guidance, but consistently struggle with things like their blood lipids or maybe weight gain. But then, drilling down into the science, we've had a couple smaller precision nutrition studies so far. And they've shown that two individuals can consume the exact same food, but have wildly different blood glucose responses. And this holds up even among identical twins. So, people with the exact same genetic background. One twin could have this more favorable blood lipid or blood glucose reaction to a cookie, and the other twin could respond better to fruit. So what we have here, we have some gaps in the, in the science, but we have opportunities. And that's finding out what are these factors that are going to predict how different people respond to different foods or different patterns, different ways of eating. And then we can begin to tailor the advice to allow them to make these food choices that improve their health and quality of life, taking into account things that you know, they maybe have known all along don't work for them. So that's really what we're trying to get at with Nutrition for Precision Health.
0: That's really fascinating, especially the aspects about the twins, since um, you know, scientists have typically used twins to compare in many different studies. And it sounds like that a lot of this work requires tons of data and different elements to know about a person. So since precision medicine requires all of this data, How is your program leveraging the infrastructure and data sets that all of us has already established to grow in its own pursuits?
1: Yes, this is going to be just a really great way to leverage what what all of us has going on. And we hope to be a good complement to them by adding our own new data types. But all of us already has genomic information for their cohort, whole genome sequences. They also have detailed electronic health records. And in many cases, these electronic health records go back to when a person was born. So there's this great longitudinal aspect with lots of rich multimodal data right there. They also have their baseline surveys and demographics. And we really do hope to leverage this and then add in new data points. So we'll be collecting um, microbiome information from the participants who do Nutrition for Precision Health. We'll be doing metabolomics on their blood. We'll be doing very detailed dietary assessment. We'll have pictures of what they're eating. We'll have self-report of what they're eating. We'll be doing doubly labeled water to validate uh, their total caloric Intake. And we'll have lots more surveys, ecological momentary assessment, maybe other wearables, so that we can add that back to the all of us data and research ecosystem, and then use artificial intelligence and machine learning to let the data tell us what are these relationships that we're seeing and what can we predict.
0: That's awesome that you get to not only collect new data elements to add to your own program, but to Bring that back to all of us to add to what they're doing. So it's a nice relationship there. But even though you're you know, leveraging this data and the pre-existing infrastructure of all of us, um, obviously you're looking to gather new information as you're branching off, but what are the challenges or gaps in research and information that you need to be successful?
1: Yeah, so one big challenge uh that we're that we're ready for, it's very hard to accurately assess what somebody is eating. It's even when people have the best intentions and they're very diligent and they take notes, uh the reports of what they're eating when compared to things like double-labeled water or even direct observation, you know, they don't always line up. We've just learned over time that the act of recalling what one has eaten throughout the day is extremely cognitively difficult. So people have great intentions, people take great notes, but sometimes what we see through direct observation or through objective biomarkers doesn't always align with those participant diaries or the participant reports. So what we're doing in Nutrition for Precision Health is we're going to do dietary assessment in two different ways, using two different methodologies. We'll be using what's called the automated self-administered 24-hour recall or ASA24, which is a really detailed survey that uses a multiple pass method. It, It will walk somebody through their day and then go back and increasingly request details about certain things, remind them of some commonly forgotten foods or commonly forgotten eating times to get that information. We'll also be using a second method where we'll ask participants to take pictures of their food before and after they eat them and then using artificial intelligence to tell us what is in those pictures, and we can, use, um, you know, we can use the software, use artificial intelligence, but also use the participant information so that if the camera takes a picture of a dark brown liquid, but the participant has said, oh, I always choose diet soda over regular soda, that information can work together to get a more accurate picture. And we'll also be um, using the doubly labeled water method, which can tell us um, pretty accurately a participant's total caloric intake and total caloric expenditure. So we can use that to kind of calibrate the information that they're giving us by self-report. So we hope to use this really rich data set within Nutrition for Precision Health to help improve some of these dietary assessment methodologies. And And one other thing that will help us is for part of the study, we'll actually be providing participants all of their food. And we'll have those menus. And in some cases, they'll be eating the food in front of us. So we'll have this very clear idea of, of what the truth is, what their actual intake is. And then we'll have the data on what they're telling us they're eating. And we'll see how we can, maybe through a statistical correction or maybe through additional prompts or additional picture taking, figure out how can we improve that methodology so that when a participant tells us what they're eating, it's much closer to the truth. So that that's probably going to be one of our biggest challenges in this study um but we're we're ready to tackle it.
0: That sounds great. I was also curious, you know, you mentioned that you're going to um be providing food in some instances and have these great tools to help you assess what people are eating but What does the overall picture that you imagine looking like for this study, how long will you be uh, studying the individuals as they eat, especially since all of us tends to be pretty longitudinal? So what do you envision for your participants?
1: Sure. That's a great question. So the program itself is funded for five years. One year of that is the readiness year. That's protocol development, getting everything in place. So it'll be four years of working with the participants. Um, We hope to enroll 10,000 all of us participants. And for all 10,000 of those participants, the main um, or or what we're calling module one of this study, we want all 10,000 participants to participate in module one. That's about two weeks long. So that will be one clinic visit on the first day to get some baseline measures and some instructions, and then two weeks of going about their daily lives, but providing us remotely all of this information related to um, dietary assessment. Maybe they'll be wearing um, a continuous glucose monitor or activity monitors. Um, They can send us surveys remotely, et cetera. And then at the end of those two weeks, there will be an additional clinic visit where we do what's called a mixed meal challenge. This means um, the participant would come in after an overnight fast and they would eat something of a known composition. So we would know exactly how many calories are in there, how much fat, how much protein, how much carbohydrates. And then Every participant would eat the same test meal, and then we could do something like cereal blood draws um, to look at how their blood glucose or how their blood lipids are changing over a period of time in response to this test meal. So that is, that's the journey for most of the participants, for the 10,000. About 20% of those participants then could be invited to continue on into our module two, which is a controlled feeding study. So this, um, it could be structured very similar to module one with those two weeks and the initial clinic visit for baseline measures and the two-week clinic visit for the mixed meal challenge. But in between those two weeks, we will give them all of their food. This would take place over three different sessions, over three different two-week periods where each time they would get one of three different dietary patterns. What those dietary patterns will be, we don't know yet, that's all being developed by the investigators as we speak. So This would be a longer commitment for the participants because it would be two weeks of diet one, they would then have a little what we call a washout period where they don't do anything for the study, and then two weeks for diet period two, another washout, and then two weeks for diet period three. Um, And then we're also planning for an even smaller subset of participants, maybe 5 to 10% would do our Module 3, which is a domiciled feeding study. So picture everything I just described for Module 2, except instead of going home with that food we provide, they're going to stay in the study facility for the entire two weeks. So this would allow for really more rigorous data collection, uh, better observation of what they're actually eating. So that's, um, that's, that's the big picture of the study, those modules one, two, and three, where everybody's doing module one, and then a smaller subset will be doing this controlled feeding with these different intervention diets.
0: Fantastic. And, um, you mentioned that the first year is sort of the stand-up period. So I'm curious to see where you are right now in standing up the program and um, you know what you're doing to sort of establish this consortium and what features you're looking forward to um, in the prospect of um, the research you're doing.
1: Yeah, so what was um, – let's see.
0: The awards were just announced in
1: mid January, and we made 14 awards. So that would be six clinical centers. These are the sites that are actually going to work with the participants, um, and they're in most cases affiliated with an existing All of Us enrollment site. So, six clinical centers, three what we're calling data generation centers. So, that's a metabolomics center and a metabolomics and clinical assay center doing all of that work for the consortium, a microbiome and Metagenomics Center, doing all of those analyses, and the Dietary Assessment Center, which will be deploying those dietary assessment technologies we just spoke about. We're also funding a research coordinating center, an artificial intelligence for multi- multimodal data modeling and bioinformatics center. So this is the group that's going to really take all this data and apply the artificial intelligence and come up with these algorithms to predict these responses. And we're also funding um, three existing components of the All of Us Research Program. So the All of Us Biobank, the All of Us Data and Research Center, and the All of Us Participant Technology System Center will have these supplemental funds and are joining the Nutrition for Precision Health Consortium to participate in these activities. So the awards were just made. We held our kickoff meeting a couple of weeks ago. So everything is forming right now, all of these connections, all of these collaborations. Our goal is to have the protocol IRB approved and to have sites having completed their run-throughs for potential participants coming in so that we can enroll our first participants in January of 2023. So I'm very much looking forward to that. That's gonna be a pretty key time for this study.
0: Yeah, and I'd like to keep an eye out for it As you know, the next year rolls around. So it's an exciting time. And even though you're just in the initial phases of setting up uh, the consortium, what kind of longer term goals do you want to accomplish from this study? And how do you envision getting there?
1: Yeah, great question. So yes, we are definitely thinking long-term. The main deliverable from this study are those algorithms to predict individual responses to foods. But a potential what we could call phase two of this program would be taking those algorithms, designing diets for individuals based on them, and then studying through additional clinical trials, for example, how we can affect these responses in people? Can we change their health-related responses and ultimately, you know, their quality of life or their risk of chronic disease or their management of chronic disease? Um, so we very much look forward to the potential validation of any of these algorithms. We're also, and what's wonderful about the All of Us Research Program, and one of the many things that's wonderful about them, is their researcher workbench. It allows any qualified researcher to go in and access this data and really interrogate it and answer some scientific questions. So all Nutrition for Precision Health data are going to reside in the All of Us researcher workbench. So even though we're right now kind of laser focused on getting to these algorithms, Anybody, including all of the nutrition for precision health researchers, but also including investigators at their institutions who just have a research idea, including citizen scientists, anybody can go in, access what's going to be one of the richest nutrition data resources ever created and ask their own scientific questions. So I'm very excited to see what comes out of that. What kind of really creative and just really game-changing questions people are gonna be able to answer using these data.
0: Yeah, I mean, that also follows the greater trend that we've been seeing with NIH about, you know, having this open data mindset when it comes to research to really unleash innovation. So that's fantastic. And just one more thing, how do you see this sort of seed of a study sprouting out to change the way that the country or maybe other countries consider the way we eat and think about our nutrition? Well,
1: again, it would be really great to see moving away from one size fits all and And listening to a patient or listening to a participant when they tell you, I've tried this and this doesn't work for me. I know that goes against the conventional wisdom. Um, You know, I'd also love to see in the US abroad, um, anywhere really, maybe some some more innovations in how we do nutrition clinical trials. We've seen the trials. We've seen where you can compare group mean to group mean, and you can come up with an effect, and you can say, okay, diet strategy A improves this response compared to diet strategy B when you compare those averages. But I'd, I'd love to see a shift more towards capturing this inner individual variability, studying that inner individual variability and figuring out how are these findings that we're about to report on, how can we tailor this to the individual? Maybe that means powering the studies differently to collect better inter-individual variability. Maybe that means collecting different measures and different responses on the participants throughout the study to help say, okay, well, these people responded and these people didn't. What are the characteristics of the responders? What are the characteristics of the non-responders? And how can we take this study, take these findings and turn it into a more tailored recommendation besides just saying, okay, everybody go out and eat X.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Holly. I've learned so much and I really can't wait to see what you do and how it changes the way that we consider food and everyone's individual needs in the future.
1: Thank you so much. It was really great chatting today. HealthCast, along with GovCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to GovCIOmedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at GCIO.com.